Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Bush Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... This guy has been up here before, and he, he told a story about meeting his wife, and it was one of the most amazing stories I ever heard, and it, it made me hate him as a man because it was so fucking romantic. Like, I just felt like my story of meeting my wife was just shit in comparison to his. So I'm really looking forward to what he has to say tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, give him a round of applause. Rick Krupnik! So thank you, Brendan, and and, uh, thank you for making a story so great the last time that they're only going to be disappointed this time. Uh, Dreams. You know, dreams are really such an important part of the human experience. And when you think about it, dreams represent our, our hopes, our aspirations, they're a goal, they're something that we strive towards. And yet we don't always go all the way with those dreams. So before I go into my story fully, I want you all to just close your eyes for a second. No peeking. And I want you to think about a dream you had when you were younger. And then I want you to think about whether you accomplished that dream. And then I want you to think about if you did not accomplish that dream, when did you give up on it? And why? You see, that's what happens far too frequently in life. We, we give up on dreams because they're difficult. And we are trained as we're younger to, to dream. I mean, think about it. We are given toys or a ball glove. Uh, you might get a cape to be Batman. You might get a glove so you can be a baseball player or a pair of ballet shoes or a guitar. Any one of those things gets people started on the road to a dream. I mean... Nobody plays Monopoly and then decides they want to become a banker, all right? I mean, it's, the dreams are things that inspire us. And then we work towards those dreams because, think about it, a dream is nice, but at the end of the day, a dream is hard work. You want to be a professional ball player? You're working. You want to be a ballet dancer? That's all you do. You want to be a painter? That's what you do. And as we get better in those crafts, we start working towards those dreams. And those same people, those older people, those parents, grandparents, well-meaning friends, when we get to a certain point, they ask us a question. Are you sure this is really what you want to do? Um, Don't you think you should go to college? Don't you know how difficult it is to become a ballet dancer? You know, don't you know how tough it is to be a ball player? In other words, those same people who have encouraged us to dream, sometimes they're very well-meaning and they discourage those dreams. And I have a theory about that, and I think it's because in many cases, their dreams died. And that's hard for them to accept. They face reality. I mean, Jack talked about getting older and what it's going to be like to be older and Life has a way of, of adjusting our dreams. So when I was growing up, I wanted two things. I wanted to be a ball player, 
because I was really good at it. And I did that from about the age of eight until I was, well, I stopped playing baseball at about 19. And then I wanted to be an actor or something on stage. Now, the ball player stuff, I actually got to play for the uh, rookie league team, the Pirate Rookies. So I got to live a little bit of that dream. The acting came about as a result of failing at baseball. See, I was a smart aleck Jewish kid from the San Fernando Valley, and my baseball coach in high school was an ex-Marine drill sergeant. Somehow the two of us didn't mesh very well. And so at one point, he finally said to me, I don't care how good you are, you will never, ever play ball for me. You think about that, at 16 years old, they take your dream away from you, and they just kind of pull that rug right out from under you. Now, it was probably, in retrospect, one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because simultaneously, in the mornings in high school, I was a junior at that time, I was taking a radio, uh, a radio drama class. And the teacher in that class was a four-foot-ten-inch dynamo of an inspiration. Her name was Freema Rude. And Freema was not only my teacher, but as years came about, she became a friend, a mentor, a second mother to me. And she said to me, you know, what's the matter? What's going on? I told her the story. She said, okay, come on with me. And she literally took me by the arm, dragged me over to where the music department was and says, you are now going to be in the high school musical. I'd never been in a high school musical before, but I sure as heck fell in love with it. I had a very small role, I was in the course, but I discovered people who were like me. I discovered people who, who lived their life like Monty Python, and it was normal. Okay. They, they taught me about poetry. They had me reading existentialist books. They were different than the people I was hanging out with before. And it opened my eyes to a whole new world. And then when I get to go on stage, and you connect with an audience, and they like what you do, if you've never done it before, it is a feeling of, it's a high, it's a drug. Anybody who gets on this stage can tell you that when they are hitting on their improv or their sketches, there is no better feeling. At the same time, they'll tell you if you're bombing, Oh, boy, you sure feel that. Good evening. You missed Jack's cargo shorts. So, I went and I became a, uh, an actor for a while. Uh, I graduated high school, took up broadcasting, uh, and was starting to live that dream. Uh, I had a sketch comedy group I was a part of, did a lot of plays. And then a better dream came along. The one that Brandon, Brendan was talking about earlier, my wife. At 19 years old, Isabel, who I'd known for a while, and I'm not going to go into this whole story again. There will be eventually a podcast. You can hear it. <laughs> Deb. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, we, fell in, we went from being friends to falling in love. And she was from France. And the distance between us 
because we really got to see each other in short bursts of time, changed my, my dream. You see, one of the things that you don't always think about when you're younger is that it's okay to have more than one dream. Sometimes you're so focused on one dream, you don't realize you can bifurcate those dreams. And so theater and comedy and all the other stuff kind of took a back seat. And I got married in 1978, December of 1978. And when Isabel went back to France in September, my father, who was a product of the Depression, came to me and said to me, you know, son, have you thought about giving up the theater? I mean, I know you love it. I know it's fun. I know you're good at it. But this isn't a story about me saying, oh, my dad ruined my dreams because I have the best dad in the world. I've got the best mom in the world. But he was projecting his concerns and his fears to me. What he didn't know was I was already thinking about that. It's tough being in the theater. It changes your lifestyle. It's a nighttime lifestyle. But let's really be honest. It was also a convenient way for me not to have to pursue it in case I wasn't good enough. You see, one of the reasons why we fail in our dreams or we don't realize our dreams is because we're afraid. Fear drives us. That's really powerful. It took me a long time to realize that. It's much easier to say, wow, I was really good back then, than it is to, uh, to face the reality that I might not be good enough, so why not? I shouldn't try. Well, fast forward a little bit. I got into business. I raised a family. I happened to be very successful in business. And I happened to be living a life that was amazing. I mean, I had two great kids, of course, Isabel, uh, family, friends. I, I was dining with presidents. I was very involved in politics. We were meeting celebrities. We had the dream life. People would walk up to me and say, man, I wish I had your life. The problem is that dream life was their dream life. It wasn't ultimately my dream life because I was missing one thing. I was missing that creative outlet, the thing that drove me as a kid. In business, it's hard to be creative and be successful. You can be creative on the front end, but if you're not disciplined, you're going to fail. And so I knew something was missing, but the dream, which I would never trade for anything in the world of my family, that was going to supersede everything. Then in 2009, the financial crisis hit. And the company that I was the uh, CEO of ended up getting sold. And I was out of a job at the age of 53. Now, I, never all, I always wondered what I wanted to be when I grew up, even when I was in my 50s. I still sometimes wonder that. <laughs> but at, 50, at 53, and going from really being on top of the world to having to, in a sense, start all over again, that was tough. And I consulted for a little while. Then I got in a terrible car accident. Some, some kid T-boned me, and I was very badly injured. And all of that conspired to depression. Now, I worked in behavioral health care for years. I, am not, I understand depression. I'm not ashamed of depression. It is part of who we are as human beings. In fact, most successful performers are depressed I mean, they, you look at the comedians, most of them are. But my way of handling it was not 
drinking, it was not drugs, it was, with the exception of antidepressants, it was compartmentalizing, it was shutting down, it was, in a sense, not communicating feelings, because, after all, if you're not feeling anything, you really can't get hurt anymore, can you? Now, I happen to be blessed to have a wife like I have, because she understood it, she recognized it, she gave me space when I needed it, she hugged me when I needed it. My daughter and my, and my son and the rest of the family, they were kind of beside themselves, what do we do with dad? And my daughter finally said, you need to go back out and perform again. And I said, no, I've, I've done that, I'm not doing that again. Well, she's a lot like me, she's very driven, and she said, no, you're going to perform again. And she spent her time researching and found the Push Comedy Theater. And so for Father's Day in 2015, I got a, uh, a gift certificate to come here to learn how to, uh, to be a comedian of some sort, either a sketch at the time or it was going to be improv. And like all good people who get a wonderful gift, I didn't use it for five months. Because that means I had to face that fear. And the fears were real. The fear was, what if I don't like it? What if all those things I was wishing for really didn't happen? What if that was just all a, a nice memory? What if I wasn't really good enough? What if I couldn't make people laugh? Uh, what if I liked the lifestyle too much? Because there is something intoxicating about the lifestyle of performing. Well, I went to the theater. I came here. I took a, a 101 class, and I began meeting people, and I took 201, and then I took 301. And what I found was a medication to heal the depression, to heal the sense of loss, to heal everything. And I discovered that I was me again. I discovered that I was the guy that Isabel married when she was 19. I was, I've always been crazy. I've always found a Monty Python view of the world, but I was really feeling it. And more to the point, the people here, by applause, how many of you have seen a show in here? Okay. So you know, this is, this is a family. When you come to this theater as a performer, you are a member of a family, or as we told Marissa, who you will see later on, a member of the cult, whichever way you want to look at it. Brad McMurrin, who, uh, who Jack mentioned, is an amazing human being. He's a phenomenal teacher. He's a generous man. He gave his students the opportunity to get on stage when I can assure you nobody else in the country is doing that for 101, 201, 301 students. And as I got more involved in the theater as a performer, and they actually asked me to put a sketch group together, and I made a couple of house teams, and I perform a lot, I was feeling complete again. So the people who make up this theater, Brad and Sean and Alba and Adam and Ed, all of those people are generous souls. And I'm not the only person who has had their dream reopened for them. There's a lot of people who perform here who've had that happen. But I've also met people here who I consider family. Most of the people I work with are half my age. I'll be 60 this year. 
Most of the people I work with are half my age, maybe a little bit older. They treat me with the same amount of disdain as they treat anybody else. <laughs> but occasionally they come to me for advice because of the color of my hair. So it is a family. It has meant the world to me. But it's also meant the world to me that my wife has given me the opportunity to do this. And we have a relationship that basically has no rules when it comes to what we want to do. Uh, you know, we support each other's goals. And there was never a question of me doing this. So before I finish my story, I want to introduce my wife. Isabel, would you stand up, please? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because really, without her, this would not have occurred. And you'd be spending Easter with somebody else standing up here. <laughs> so, my closing statements to all of you sitting in this room is, from a guy who's got white hair, you've got to hold on to your dreams. You have to face the fear and overcome that fear. You need to ask yourself the question I asked you earlier, why did you stop? Why did you think it wasn't important anymore for that dream? Okay, maybe your dream was to be an astronaut and you, you stink at math. I get it. But there's so many other dreams that you should be pursuing. So please, 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 don't give up on those dreams. They are who we are. They are hope. They are optimism. They are goals. And frankly, if you're not dreaming, you're not living. Thank you. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org. We will find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.